Welcome to Insight, podcast devoted to subjects that are theological, historical, literary, even cinematic, but especially biblical. I'm your host and presenter, Gary Nation. This second episode on Jeremiah covers chapters 7 through 10 of his book. Here, he addresses a nation that is in violation of every one of the Ten Commandments, but excuses its moral complacency because of the Temple of the Lord. As the talk begins, I open with a prayer. Father, with the things in mind that have been mentioned, and we have, we have spoken prayer requests in your presence, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, and we lift them up to you. And I pray that as we open this word of yours that you gave through your prophet Jeremiah, Lord, this is a tough stretch that we're going to be looking at today. And yet at the same time, there is power in the words and there is, I pray that we will not be weighed down by words of judgment, but I pray that we will be convicted in the areas of our own sin and inconsistency. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will be lifted up by the full truth of who you are and the greatness of who you are and will be led to believe in you and to trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah's second album starts out not with songs but with audio clips as it were of his spoken word. Jeremiah was a priest, although he was not a priest who was active in the temple. He was not in the temple rotation. His line, his genealogical line was excluded from the days of Solomon from the temple, basically fulfilling a judgment that God pronounced all the way back to Eli. So Jeremiah was a priest, he was born a priest, but he was not in the temple rotation. But priests, nevertheless, did have priestly duties, and they did have religious functions. The uh, passage here that uh, we're coming at it seems to be taking place during the time, during the accession of King uh, Jehoiakim the son of Josiah. After Josiah's death, he had a a son who reigned for about three months before he was deposed by the king of Egypt. Jehoiakim was established on the throne. His original name was Eliakim, and, and King Shishak of Egypt, Pharaoh of Egypt, changed his name for him. said, Eliakim is too generic. It just means God is... Uh, judge, God is righteous, you need to change that. So he changed it to Jehoiakim, so it had actually the name of Jehovah in there. He did that, I mean, it was strictly a political thing, but he was Shishak's boy, put on the throne. Well, Jehoiakim had his own idea about what he was going to do anyway. 
And sometimes he was with Shishak, and sometimes he switched his, then he switched his allegiance to Babylon later, and then he switched his allegiance back to Egypt, and that, it all turned to be you know, very disastrous. He was not a good matter of fact, he was terrible. He followed the ways of his grandfather Manasseh, who was the worst king of all time, as in, at least in the Bible as opposed to the ways of his father Josiah, who was quite possibly the best of the, of the descendants of David who ever sat on the throne. His father's gone, killed in battle, and now Jehoiakim takes the throne. One of the things he begins to do, he begins to reestablish the... He, he begins to undo the religious reforms that his father Josiah put in place. Josiah radically reformed everything which needed a desperate radical reform back to the original constitution of the people of Israel, the law of God. Josiah did that. Jehoiakim, responding apparently to popular demand, reinstated all of the things that Josiah had banned. And we're going to see that reflected in this. What we see here coming out at least in the beginning. This is several brief clips put together as one address. And you see it's probably written in your Bible if you've got a contemporary translation. This part is in prose. This part is, is not set out in poetic fashion. This part is in prose because this is a prose section. And the, but it is sermon style. It is classical sermon style in the style of preaching that was established by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a series of sermons preached by Moses. This is, these are classical sermons. So my visualization of this, and this is not given to us by any direct record, but my visualization of what's taking place here is that one of the functions of the priests during this time, during this era, was basically they were given uh, preaching opportunities, as it were, to address the people with, you know, Tell them what's on your heart. Tell them what's, you know, just bring. But it was one of those religious celebration things. And they're coming together. This is a religious festival that is taking place. And there is a great meeting there at the temple. And Jeremiah is there. And this is, I, I believe that this is his time that he's, okay, you're up, Jeremiah. This is your time. This is your, this is your turn. What do you have to say to the people? And he gets up there and he follows the classic sermon form. This is one of those things that's been recovered with the, during the days of Jeremiah when they recovered the book of the law and particularly recovered the book of Deuteronomy. They recovered this. They studied this. One of the, things, one of the functions that began to really be energized apparently during the days of Josiah was the, was the work of the scribe who was copying the law. And the scribe, this is, this is the origin of when the scribes became lawyers, that is, students of the law. They were the ones who were most familiar with the law because they were the ones who were copying it down word for word, letter for letter. So this is that time, and we're going to see some reference to that in these words of Jeremiah. It's not a happy reference, as we're going to see, but we see the first cut from Jeremiah's album is, a, as I said, a, apparently a series of clips taken from one or more of his sermons preached in this style. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. We don't know which gate it was. Uh, according to uh, 
traditions that go back at least to the rabbis of the Middle Ages, there were seven gates in the temple. We really don't know, and that, that, that cannot be excavated either, because guess what sits on top of that? Never mind. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. By the way, you notice those words? Those words, this is what the Lord says. This is not my opinion. This is what the Lord of hosts says. You know what that, that term, Lord of hosts, it goes back all the way to Moses. David used it quite a bit in the Psalms. This is God of the armies. Our God is a God of war. This is what the Lord of hosts says. The God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For truly, if you, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place and the land that I gave you of, gave of old to your fathers forever. Now, those words, nothing in there is anything new. This goes all the way back to Moses. True? You all recognize these words when we studied back in the in the book of the law. This goes all the way back to Moses. There's nothing new here. But what this is coming out as, and this is hitting the people, and it is hitting them right in the face. And as soon as Jeremiah begins to speak, you could look out at the crowd, and you could see (laughs) the faces contort, and you could see the blood begin to rise, and, and everything, and you could see the agitation of the people. Sam Cathy said, I can throw a rock and a pack of dogs. The only one that yells is the one I hit when they all start yelling. Mm. And I'll tell you what, this is, this is what's happening. Jeremiah has thrown a rock and a pack of dogs and it's hit every one of them. Why? This is not where they are. You know what Jeremiah has just done? He's basically said, and, and look at how it says, if you do these things, I'll let you live here. This is God speaking. I will let you live here. What does that say? You don't have a right to dwell in this place. They had reached the point of entitlement. That's exactly what they reached. And you can see, what was it that gave them that sense of entitlement? Come on, you see it. This is the Lord's temple. This is the Lord's temple. This is the temp- This is the Lord's temple. The temple. The temple. He knows how he says that three times. Don't stop. Stop listening to the people who tell you it's all about the temple. The temple. The temple. It's not about the temple. You're trusting the things that man has built. God didn't build this house. God filled this house after Solomon built it. But he doesn't feel welcome here right now. So God says, this is my final offer. This is what is coming. This is my final offer. And basically it's coming in as not merely as a reminder of, of 
what he, of his commandments. It's coming as, as an ultimatum. This is, the, this is your last chance. Jeremiah, and they really don't realize this. What Jeremiah is doing is he's telling them, God is offering, this is your last chance. This is your last chance. No, no, no. This is not a, you know, it's, it's late. You need to. This is literally your last chance. We're going to see how clearly that is and how clearly Jeremiah feels that is before we're through this morning. Lord willing. Verse 8. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. You're trusting in deceptive. You're trusting a lie. You're listening to people who are lying to you and you want to hear their lies. You want to hear the good words that they're saying to you. Now, follow along here. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, and go on doing these abominations. He's just named right there, named or implied, not less than seven of the Ten Commandments. Starting out, you shall not steal. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not... You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them nor worship them. You shall not uh, uh, swear falsely. That, you know, you, you shall not bear false witness. That is to bear false witness against your neighbor. And then they, what are they doing? There's, and, and, and it goes on. There's something else. And you are standing. Keep on looking. He said, you are standing in my house, which is called by my name. So they're taking God's name in vain and say, God's going to deliver us. Before we're through, he's going to finish naming the rest of the commandments. All of which that they violated. Now notice his point there. You are standing in direct violation. You are in blatant violation of every law that God gave you. And yet you're standing in his temple. The temple that is called by his name. The house that is called by his name. And saying, God will deliver us because we're here in his temple. Religion is the rope which holds in hell's toe souls of damned millions who vainly hope to pull themselves by it into paradise. Look at verse 11. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I've seen it, declares the Lord. I'm watching this. Oh, look. That's, that, is that a familiar statement to you? Sounds a whole lot like what Christ said. You think Jesus had read the Bible? Thank you, Billy. When Jesus spoke, he put together words from Isaiah. It is written, My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. Then he quotes Jeremiah, You've made it a den of robbers. What's a den of robbers? That's where they go to hide out. Dick. That's where they go to hide out, where they can't be found, so they can split up their loot and wait until the heat dies down. 
That's what you've made my temple. Behold, I've seen it, declares the Lord. I'm watching this. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. Shiloh. That's where they put, that's where the ark and the altar originally were. That's where it originally settled when they came to Canaan. Had been there through the time of the judges. But the people became so corrupt. And you know what they thought? They thought that because we have the ark of the Lord, we are safe. And they sought so much of that that when they went back out and again into battle against the Philistines, having been licked by the Philistines, they said, let's take the ark of the Lord out with us. That way the Lord will go with us into battle. And not only did they get really whipped, but they lost the ark. And then the Philistines came up. This, this is about, oh, 400 years before this time here. And totally demolished that town. So go to Shiloh. You think, if you think you're secure here, remember what I did to Shiloh. And now because you've done all these things, declares the Lord, when I spoke to you persistently and you did not listen when I called you, you didn't answer, I will go to the... By the way, this, this is a phrase that's used and it's used in Jeremiah. This is one of those unique phrases in Jeremiah. Here it says, I spoke to you persistently. What does it say in your, in your translation? What do you have? I spoke to you again and again. There, it, it's, the phrase that Jeremiah literally uses in Hebrew is... I rose up early and spoke. And it's a phrase Jeremiah uses several times to show how the God's persistence, not only his persistence, but his zeal to try to warn them of what's coming up and what's going on. Therefore, I will do to this house that is called by my name and in which you trust into the place that I gave you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, the offspring of Ephraim. Remember what I did to Israel? I'm going to do it to you too. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremiah said, and then said, you're welcome. In these shocking words, God says, as for you, Jeremiah, don't pray for this people. Don't lift up a cry for them, uh, a cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. They've crossed a deadline. That train's coming. And it's on schedule. And I'm not going to stop it. I don't care what you say. Do you not see what they're doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Now, Jeremiah here, and he's giving us a window into, because the Kings doesn't tell us all of what's going on. The book of Kings doesn't tell us all this. It focuses on the leaders. and on Jeremiah looks up and says, go out. Jeremiah takes us into the streets of Jerusalem. The children gather wood the fathers kindle fire and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen 
of heaven and they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. They're doing it on purpose. I wonder if they realized that they were doing that on purpose, that they were deliberately provoking God to anger. But that's what God says. God, who knows the heart, says that they are provoking me to anger. They're doing it on purpose. And they're making offerings to the queen of heaven. What is it? It's a fertility, it, generic fertility goddess. Worshipped all over the ancient Near East. In one, under one name or another or another or another. But there was, I mean, it's just, this is just this basic mythology. And they, this idea that they had, they, in order to get blessed in their lives, they had, to, they had to please the gods that are actually running stuff out there. And you've got the whole family involved in doing this and they do it publicly. They do it right in front of me. And what did I say in the first of the commandments, the first of the words? You shall have no other gods to my face. And you're doing it right out in the open in my face. Is it I whom they provoke? declares the Lord is is it not themselves to their own shame therefore thus says the Lord behold my anger and my wrath will be poured out upon this place upon man and beast upon the trees of the field the fruit of the ground it will burn and not be quenched thus says the Lord God of Israel add your burnt offerings to your sacrifice add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices eat the flesh for the day that I brought them out of Egypt I didn't speak to your fathers to command them concerning offerings and sacrifices but this command I gave them obey my voice and I'll be your God and you will be my people and walk in the way that I command you that it may be well with you but they didn't obey or incline their ear they walked in their own counsels the stubbornness of their evil hearts went backward and not forward from the day your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day I have persistently sent all my servants the prophets to them day after day yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear but stiffened their neck they did worse than their fathers okay he says so go ahead add your burnt offerings to your sacrifice and go ahead and eat them I, I don't care now God's commandment the burnt offering was not to be eaten. It was to be consumed entirely by fire. It was an offering to God. It was an offering of consecration. The peace offerings, a portion went to God on the altar, a portion went to the priest, and the rest of it was used for, by the family for a barbecue. This, this was the feast. This was the fellowship time. People presented their sacrifice. They always looked forward to the times of, of of the sacrifices because it meant a big feast. It meant we're gonna we're all gonna have steaks, you know, steaks and ribs and brisket and you know we're just barbecue. God says, let me tell you something. Let me tell you how much your offerings and sacrifices that you're presenting to me right now mean. They don't mean anything. So I don't care if you want to go ahead and eat that. That, that calf that you're offering as a burnt offering? Have it. I don't care. It's probably the best one of your, should be the best one of your herd. Go ahead. Have it. You want that lamp? Go ahead. Have it. I don't care. Take it. I'm not accepting any of this. It's all for you. None of it's for me. I don't want it. When you went out in the wilderness, when you were out in the wilderness, did I tell you that the number one thing you were supposed to do was to offer sacrifices to me? No. What I told you was, trust me and obey me. Obey my commandments. Keep my laws. The sacrifices all come in after that. 
So you shall speak these words to them. They won't listen to you. You shall call to them, but they won't answer you. You shall say to them, this nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. First words of poetry right here. It's a little song. Shear off your hair and cast it away. That's the, that's the same word for sheep shearing that's used. It's not merely a matter of just get a haircut. Shear off your hair, cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. What it is, is there is a time of lamenting, there is a time of grieving that's coming. Go ahead, party away, because you're not going to be getting to do that much anymore. So party on. For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They've set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. That word detestable things doesn't only have to do with the idol itself, but it also has to do with the practices that were engaged in before that idol, which generally in the Canaanite world were practices that the law of God declared immoral. They're, well, kind of like, uh, kind of like turning the church into a swingers club. How about that? You go to church to do this. And that's what they've done. And they've built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to build their, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come to my mind. Topheth originally comes from the word for fireplace, but they changed the vowel points. They changed the vowel sounds so that Topheth sounded like the word Bosheth, which means shame. So basically in the word Topheth, you've got the idea of a furnace of shame. It's where they come to bring, they come to kill their children and sacrifice them on an altar to Moloch. Because they think that if they do that, they will really impress that God and that God will give them good luck. I just find it amazing that the God who knows all things hadn't thought about it. God says, I didn't even think about doing that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't command you. It didn't come into my mind to command you that. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be called Topheth or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. They will bury in Topheth because there's no room else. They're going to pitch bodies out there and burn them because there's no place. Now, you don't... Here's the deal. One of the things, and I think probably it's something that... It, I, I'm not exactly sure what the origin of it is, and it could have to do some with the Egyptian influence upon Israelite. But I mean, it just goes back deep into their culture. If you go back all the way to Genesis, you remember Abraham buried his loved ones who died and was himself buried in a tomb, purchased from Mamre the Amorite, a tomb where he buried Sarah, and then he himself was buried and 
his sons were buried after his son Isaac was buried after him and his grandson his grandson Jacob was buried there and then later on also his great grandson Joseph hundreds of years later, was carried back and buried in that same tomb. You remember, the burial was an important thing that goes all the way back. And there is, even though there is not a clear doctrine and definition of the resurrection in the Old Testament, there is this sense that there is a place of waiting. And that the grave is not the end and that death is not the absolute end of all things. And so there's this sense and this was passed on and this was kept and this was a cultural thing that was not just a matter of religion, it was a matter of culture, but it was the idea, if, 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 and you can see it in the law, if a, if a body isn't buried, there's a curse on that body and there's a curse on the land. And it was a severe time. And, and uh, whenever prophecies were given of great judgment and doom and gloom, you're speaking of battles in which, and because in a great battle, you, not all the men ever got buried. And they're, you know, it's proverbial. Your, your body shall be for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That's what Goliath said to David. Jeremiah said, that's literally going to happen to this generation. Verse 34, and I will silence in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, for the land shall become a waste. And at that time, declares the Lord, the bones of the kings of Judah, the bones of its officials, the bones of the priests, the bones of the prophets, the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Notice the repetition there. He's just hammering this thing home. He's relentless. <laughs> Jeremiah. Well, the boy can preach. They shall be brought out of their tombs. And they shall be, they shall be brought out of their tombs. The Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to be, do such a devastation of this place that they're not going to be satisfied just to throw out the people that they kill. They're going to take the people who have already died, drag them out of their tombs, and throw them out too. Look at verse 3. Death shall be preferred to life by all the remnant that remains of this evil family and all the places that I have driven them. Mm. That's just the first cut. And he, haven't even, he's, he hasn't even started singing yet. Verse 4 of chapter 8, he starts to sing. I mean, we won't go through the whole song, but let's get some good lines from it. Verse 5. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. They hold fast to deceit. They believed a lie and they know it's a lie, but they won't return. They won't turn back. They have invested themselves so much in this lie. They've lost track that there's any truth at all left. That has an effect. Keep going. Verse 6. No man relents of his evil, saying, What have I done? Everyone turns to his own course like a horse plunging headlong into battle. Even the birds 
have instincts as to when they're supposed to return, but look at the last verse, part of verse 7, but my people know not. This, uh, this has a weak, uh, I, I don't like the English Standard Version translation of this word. It consistently translates this word, rules. And the King James translates it, judgments. What does your translation have? Ordinance. Ordinance. Requirements. It goes back. It's a judicial term. It's a judicial term. And it's when a judge renders a judgment or a ruling on an issue. And God gave commandments. And then when people brought to Moses these issues that came up, Moses went to God and found out what God had to say about these things that were not explicitly spoken in the Ten Commandments, but what were the explicit what are the instructions for this situation? And these are the rulings, the judgments of God. It becomes a metonymy, a figure of speech for the whole law. The word rules doesn't cut it. It's not the rules of God. As a, okay, these are the rules of my house. Well, first of all, you must take off your shoes before you go. No, 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 that's not what it's about. This is God saying, this is how... I want you to live, to be righteous and holy before me because this is the truth. My people don't know the rulings of the Lord. They don't know the judgments of the Lord. They, they, they are deliberately ignorant of what I want them to be, do and be. Verse 8, how can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. You scribes have put out commentaries that have said, well, the Bible doesn't really mean what it says. Or this part of the Bible isn't really reliable. This is not the Word of God. This is optional. It, there are other contexts. Verse 10, because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. There is the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. Everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Patrick Henry quoted those words in his famous speech before the Virginia legislature, before the Virginia assembly. Men will cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Those words came from Jeremiah, and it was a condemnation of the leaders who say, don't you worry about all the things that you're going on, the things you're reading in the newspaper, the, you know, the, I know we know the Babylonians are up this, but don't worry about this. The Egyptians will take care of the Babylonians. And everything's going to be just fine. There's going to be peace. And besides, we have the temple, the temple, the temple. Nobody's going to hurt us. God's always delivered us before and he's going to deliver us again. He has to. That's what his job is. Well, they forgot ultimately that God is God and there weren't. Verse 12, they were all not at all ashamed. They don't know how to blush. Verse 13, when I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, no figs on the tree, even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. You remember when Jesus was going into Jerusalem? And he came up 
to the fig tree that was in leaf. Now here's the deal. It was not in season, the season for figs, but here was a fig tree that was in full leaf. And when a fig tree is in full leaf, it should have figs on it. There were no figs on this fig tree. You think Jesus knew that fig tree was there? Do you think that was just coincidence? And he went up before his disciples and he said, Cursed be that fig tree, may you not ever produce fruit again. And they're thinking, boy, the master's kind of touchy today. Fig tree is an ancient symbol of Israel. When they came back the next day, that fig tree was dead. And they were thinking, they were thinking, how did you do that? Missing the point altogether. Typical for the disciples. But Jesus, one of the things late in his ministry, speaking of, I came and I looked for fruit and there was no fruit. Verse 18, Jeremiah launches into another song. And this song, it's hard in this song to separate the prophet from God. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Verse 20, this is the cry of the people continued. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. You thought you were going to be delivered. You thought you put your faith in things that cannot save you. And you thought that they were going to deliver you. And you just assumed that God was going to come through like he always has. And guess what? The time has passed. And now it's beginning to dawn on you finally. That this judgment is not going to be postponed. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? In Gilead, the area west or on east of the Jordan, in that area there was a tree that grew. That we're not exactly sure what tree it was, but the resin of that tree was used for medicine, which had, you know, I mean, it was kind of like the aloe vera of its. I mean, it was just wonderful properties of bringing healing and restoration a great medicine is there no balm in Gilead is there no physician there why has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored oh that my head were waters and my eyes were fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people here's Jeremiah and we see him so indignant over the sins of his people you think that he'd be happy that the judgment is coming Jeremiah's grief we see also the grief of God who is sending the judgment oh and then Jeremiah said I'm fed up with this 
I don't want to do this job anymore. I wish I could just take a vacation. I wish I could go out in the desert. Now, there aren't any desert resorts out there. You go out in the desert, basically you're going for, for a shelter. Over, uh, an inn in the desert is a shelter over your head and a little water to drink to, keep, to help you on your way. I want to get away from these people. They're all adulterers. They're a company of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and truth is not has grown strong, falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. They proceed from evil to evil and they do not know me. If you believe in falseness, falseness eventually becomes your lifestyle and there is nothing, there, there's, if you don't believe in truth, then ultimately, what's going to make you keep your word on anything? If truth is what you decide that it is, then why should anybody believe you? What you worship, what you serve, what you believe in has effects on every part of your life. Verse 4, let everyone beware of his neighbor. Put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They've taught their tongue to speak lies. The weary, they weary themselves committing iniquity. Heaping oppression upon depression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. And therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and test them. For what else can I do because of my people? Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his mouth each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart he plans an ambush in them. Shall, for, them for him, shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord. The ethical collapse of the nation is a direct result of the things of the lies that they have given themselves over to worship. Verse 12, who is the man who can understand this? Understand what? Why is the land ruined and laid waste by a wilderness so that no one passes through? Does anybody understand what's going on here? And the Lord says, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them. Verse 14, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals as their fathers taught them. Now that's an interesting thing. That is a mention there of which commandment? You shall honor your father and your mother. Now here's the perverse and ironic thing about it. They're honoring their fathers and mothers in rejecting the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their fathers. This is a perverse obedience of the fifth commandment. When you get, to, when you, in other words, when you do obey the commandment, you're doing it wrong. He's got a song here that we're not going to go through that says, okay, you women who go through the, and stage the morning rites whenever there's, a, whenever there's a death in the family, you're going to have to teach your daughters because there's not going to be enough of you to go around when this thing hits. Now, verse 23. Here's a memory verse for you. You should memorize this verse. If you have not yet, you should memorize this. 
Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. This is God. This is the God that they've rejected. This is exactly what Paul's referring to. See, Paul read Jeremiah too. Chapter 10. Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the peoples are vanity. And there is a song that, and basically, this song, we'll call this song, Who's Your Daddy? Because this song goes through, and it is a vicious, biting satire of idols. I love verse 5. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They can't speak. They're like scarecrows are put up in a cucumber patch. They can't speak. They have to be carried. They can't walk. Don't be afraid of them. They can't do evil. It's not in them to do good. Look at verse 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great. Your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Verse 10, but the Lord is God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Now, this is when I prayed earlier, I prayed, you know, that we would not be so weighed down by the message of judgment of condemnation, that we would be convicted when we see the inconsistency of our own hearts, but that the Lord would lift us up with a vision of who He really is. God really is God. He really is the one in control. Don't succumb to the temptations to do things like the people of the world do it. They don't know what you've got. They don't know who you know. Verse 12, it is... He, oh, verse 11. Verse 11 is a fascinating verse. It's unique in the Bible. Why? Because you've got this whole long passage of Hebrew in verse 11. There's one verse put, that's put in there that is in the language of Aramaic, not Hebrew. There have been a lot of scholars who have puzzled over that. You know what I think? I think Jeremiah, I think Jeremiah wrote that verse. I don't think somebody, some other later scribe put it in there. I think Jeremiah wrote that verse. And I think he put it in there on purpose. Aramaic was the language that was spoken by the Babylonians. And I think he put it in there in order to say a double thing. First of all, one of these days you're going to read this in Babylon. I want to remind you, God's there. And he already knew that you were going to be there. And I think he was also putting in there by saying, hey, you Babylonians, this is to you too. You don't get away with this just because you're not Israelites. 
This is true for everybody. It's true for one and it's true for all. The gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. That's right. Who's your daddy? It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, by his understanding stretched out the heavens. And when he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false. There's no breath in them. They're worthless, a work of delusion. The time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like this. Not like these is he who is the portion that is the inheritance of Jacob. He is the one who formed all things. Finally, he goes back. Look at verse 19. We've got another. We've got another song of the blues. Woe, to me, woe is me because of my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is an affliction and I must bear it. This seems to be a, a song from the perspective of, this, of the city of Jerusalem. And a lament from her point of view. For the shepherds are stupid. They don't inquire of the Lord. They've not, therefore they have not prospered. And all their flock is scattered. Finally, let's close out with verses 23. I know, O Lord. This is Jeremiah's own prayer. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. It's not man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Pour out your wrath on the nations that know you not, and on the peoples that call not on your name, for they've devoured Jacob, they've devoured him and consumed him, and laid waste his habitation. Jeremiah is writing these words, he's writing as a prophet. I don't think he's writing these words after this, the de devastation has occurred. I believe he's looking forward to the devastation that is to come, but as, as, as though it had already happened. But don't forget... I know, O oh Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. It's not man who walks to direct his steps. In all these things, folks, remember, we will, be, we will come back around. We will not fall into the trap so long as we do not fall into the lie that man is his own God. God is God. And we are not. And I'm done. You've been listening to the second of ten episodes in which we'll cover the book of Jeremiah. As you can see, we're not going verse by verse, but are seeking to interpret the sweep of the book. We've already seen some of the openness of heart of this prophet, but there is much, much more to follow. I hope you keep tuning in. This is Insight with Gary Nation. Thanks for listening.